Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. You guys in Ephesians? Awesome. We're going to pick it up at verse 14. It says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us the armor to be able to do proper battle, to be able to do righteous battle, to be able to do battle against the enemy. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would be putting on this armor. I pray today, God, as we look at your word, you would give us illumination. Um, Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds, God. Speak to our souls. We want to hear from you. And so, God, we ask that you would bless the preaching of your word. We thank you, God, that you are a good and gracious God. We thank you for the worship team, for their uh, ministry, God, to us, for their ministry to you, Lord, for them um, enabling us, God, to uh, worship you rightly, God, in spirit and in truth. We thank you, Lord, for the catechism teachers. We thank you, God, that they have uh, a week off this week, that we can all come together as a body uh, and be in the service, Lord. We thank you, God, that you have privileged us so much with so many things. Thank you, Lord, that we can open up our church and let another church use it as they're seeking to do ministry, as they're seeking to serve you, God. We thank you for this building with all its flaws and, and water leaks and everything, God. It's, it's your building. You've gifted it to us, God, and we're, we're grateful to have a building that can be used um, for so many different purposes, for so much ministry. And so, Lord, uh, we beseech you now uh, to continue to be with us, continue to walk with us, continue to fill us, God. We want to um, see you. Uh, We want to see um, the cross, the empty cross, the empty grave, Lord, uh, because you're not there anymore. Uh, Jesus, you're seated at the right hand of the Father, and... um, It says that one day you will put in subjection all things to the Father, Lord. Um, We look forward to that. We look forward to seeing every knee bow, um, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So be with us, God, and let us hear. Give us ears to hear. Amen. All right, we're going to make it through three pieces of the armor today. That's right. We're going to start with what it says as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, a good soldier needs good footwear. And uh, the, the footwear for a soldier that would be getting ready for battle, there would possibly be two kinds. One was more like a half boot, uh, but one would be like uh, sandals with some really good strong straps and on the bottom, they would have had put in some different types of uh, nails to give him a firm footing so that whether he was um, standing firm in a, in a position doing battle or he was advancing upon the enemy, um, he would not lose his grip um, at all. I'm getting a package in the mail tomorrow. 
You know what it is? It's shoes. I'm getting some new running shoes. Yep. I'm kind of excited about it. I don't normally get excited about that type of stuff. Um, but I'm excited about it because uh, a couple of reasons. One, um, it means that I've worn out my old running shoes. And so that means I've actually been running. <laughs> That's a good thing for me. But it also shows that I've been making progress as I've set some different goals for myself. And, um, you know, running shoes aren't cheap if you get a halfway decent pair. Um, and I don't buy shoes that often. Now, my wife, on the other hand, that's another story. But uh, when I get my running shoes tomorrow, I think my total pair of shoes will be up to three, including these dress shoes. <laughs> I only wear them once a week. <laughs> so I'm excited about these shoes because imagine trying to run a race in flip-flops. Okay? I made the mistake before of running about a half mile in flip-flops. Bad decision. Um, or try going hiking uh, in dress shoes. It would not work. Footwear is important. And we have different types of footwear for different types of occasion. And proper footwear, I mean, think about that for the runner. One of the things I like about running is I just, like, can put on my shoes and go. You know, I don't got to drive to the gym. I don't got to pay some membership thing, which is great for all y'all doing that. All four of you. <laughs> but seriously, like the, the time commitment is minimal, so I can get in my exercise and I, I, I can be done with it. Um, but proper footwear, it allows us to go wherever we need to go, regardless of the terrain. And the gospel is made to go everywhere. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And every believer should be equipped with the gospel. And notice, it, theologians have, have discussed this over and over when he says in verse 15, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So when he's talking about putting the shoes on, the shoes are not the gospel of peace. It's the readiness given by the gospel of peace. It makes sense because when you have shoes on, you are ready to do certain things things. When the soldier has his shoes on, he is ready to go wherever he needs to go. We need to be ready to go to take the gospel to all the nations, all the tribes, all the people. It is a vital part of our armor. Look, if we're, if we're missing the gospel when it comes to our armor, well, we might as well not bother putting the armor on. Without the gospel... The believer is incomplete. It is a vital piece of our armor. And Christ demands us to be ready when it comes to the gospel, wherever we need to go. I mean, this includes places that we've gone outside the U.S., like Belize. We're getting ready for Haiti. We've had different missionaries go to other countries as well. But it, it includes this nation. It includes our neighborhoods, all right? It includes our work. It includes our extended family. So we, we got to take the gospel with us. We have to be ready. That's Paul's point when it comes to the shoes. You are prepared. You are ready for the battle, ready to go wherever it might take you. Listen, the gospel is not like a secondary thought. 
It's of the primary importance wherever we go. Paul uses it uh, in Romans 10. He makes, he makes a reference to it, if you look there. He starts in verse 13 of chapter 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So he's talking that he asks a number of questions in order to believe the word has to be preached. In order for the word to be preached, people have to go and preach the word. We have to send people out. Guess what? We're, we're the sent ones. We are the sent ones. The, the word apostle, in its simplest form, just means sent ones. So in a very loose sense, we're all apostles. We're all ones that are being sent out to preach the gospel. And that's what we have to do. We have to arm ourselves with the gospel. Guess what? First, with ourselves. We should preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Because guess what? We need it. All right? And we need to be reminded of it, of the sweetness of it, of the call of the gospel, of the demands that it then puts on our life to live a life worthy of the gospel. So first for ourselves, but then for others. We need to take it with us wherever we go. So we have gospel thinking and gospel living. And Paul calls this here a gospel of peace. And we looked at it earlier in Ephesians 2. Look, there is hostility. Before you are saved, there is a hostility between you and God. And so it says there's this wall of hostility that has come between you and the Father. Now, why would that hostility exist? Is we've been spitting in his face ever since we were born. Guess what? That's going to create a little hostility. So, the gospel of peace, peace talks about disunity being brought into unity. Peace talks about the wall being taken down. All right? And if you think about it, what do walls normally signify? Some kind of problem. If you think of West Germany and East Germany, right? What did the wall signify? Problems. So Christ comes, and he, it says, is our peace. He is the one that removed that wall, that crumbles it down, and we can have peace. We can be united, we can be unified with the Father in a way that's not possible apart from Christ. It's only through him, it's only through his blood that that can occur. So the gospel is foundational. You, each one of you, have to know that you are in Christ. You have to know it. You have to fully know it. Not just a head thing, but a heart thing. Listen, the enemy is going to lie to you about who you are, And whose you are. He will whisper those lies quite loudly sometimes, but he will whisper them to make you believe differently than what God wants you to believe about who you are. And you have to rebuke that. You have to reject that. You have to know the gospel so that when the attack comes, 
You don't start trying to take it upon yourself to live out works righteousness. You have the righteousness of Christ already. You have to remember that the gospel is all of Christ and none of you. Because then when Satan comes and he's attacking you, he's really not attacking you. He's attacking Christ. He's attacking the cross. He's attacking the blood. So his, his, his issue ultimately is with what Jesus did. Well, guess what? Jesus already had the victory. He's already completed it. So when he comes accusing, and it's ultimately against Jesus, we already know it's a done deal. There will be no victory for Satan. So gospel is foundational. Can I just say something? We need... I got this email from my health insurance company. They like emailing me a lot. I don't know why, but I get emails from my health insurance company way too much the last couple of years. And one of the things they emailed me about was like, it said, hey, do you have like all your vaccinations like up to date? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, are you emailing me because you know something I don't? So I like clicked on the link. There's a lot of vaccinations out there. Like, have you ever click on that link sometime yourself? I'll, I'll email it to you if you want it, man. There is a ton of vaccinations for all sorts of stuff. I didn't even know. And I, like, I called up my doctor because I was, like, a little concerned because there's, like, I don't know, 15 of them or something. I'm like, um, do I have all these vaccinations because my health insurance company's got me freaked out a little bit? And, so, and they didn't know. <laughs> then I was really freaked out. But all sorts of these vaccinations, right? I think I got most of them. I talked to my mom. I'm feeling much better about it after I did that. <laughs> Ironically, actually, she's like, yeah, actually, I gave you your vaccination card, like, on your birthday last month. I was like, really? That was a great gift. <laughs> but she really did. I forgot that. <laughs> but what happens when, if you've ever taken your kids to get um, vaccinated they're always like, oh, what did the doctor tell you? Oh, now they might get a little fever, or they might feel kind of tired, or they might get kind of sick, you know, right? But they'll be all right. They'll, be, they'll, they'll get better. Um, I think that's what happens with us in the gospel sometimes. Because we, like, get the gospel, and we get, we get infected with it. And what happens is, is then we, so we're on fire, and we're crazy, and we're talking about Jesus all the time. And then, and then we, like, we get accustomed to it. And we just kind of go back to our normal self. So we get the fever for a little bit, or we're kind of tired for a little bit, but then it's, it's back to normal. Look, we need to be infected with the gospel in such a way that we're contagious with it. All right? We don't want an inoculation or a vaccine. We want the infection that spreads to others. And that's how we need to take it, because too many of us are treating it like a vaccine or an inoculation. And we just think we're okay, and we're on fire for a little bit, and now we're back to normal. That's not the way God wants it. It should be an infection that spreads to others. The gospel wants to spread. Listen, uh, if we're going to do battle, we need clarity with the gospel, a clear understanding of what the gospel is. There's much confusion. Paul dealt with it, well, in all his books, but uh, Galatians, I mean, he's just like hammering it and hammering it and hammering it over and over, right? And he's telling them, look, you're believing, you're believing another gospel, is what he calls. A heteros gospel. A different gospel completely. There's two Greek words. And he's like, you're believing one that's not just sort of different. You're believing one that's completely different. We call it today 
a false gospel. You're believing a different gospel. We need clarity when it comes to the gospel. Otherwise, we're going to spread something that's completely false and doesn't do anybody any good. All right? You're just going to be giving people sugar water, those placebo pills right, that they test people with to see if that stuff, the real stuff works. And we need to be careful that we're not handing out the placebo pills to people because it doesn't do anything to them. We need the real gospel because Satan is going to do everything he can to undermine your belief, first in God. He wants to distort your view of who God is. So Hannah earlier was exhorting us, and we're singing that song, and she's like, it's probably troubling, you know, it might be a struggle for some of you, right? And Satan wants to attack that, those areas of weakness in your life or those struggles that you've had or those hurts that you have in you and expose those and be like, God's not good. So he's going to do that. Then he's going to do it with the word and doubting the truthfulness of the scriptures. I mean, it's the inerrant, infallible word of God. I have, uh, it's beyond a shadow of a doubt for me that that's the case for me. There's much evidence. There's great apologetic stuff. I've, and, and it's an area that I really love when it comes to it, about the manuscript evidence and all that stuff. And it's good, and it really backs up everything that we believe. But sometimes you don't even need that. I mean, you can read it, and it speaks for itself. But if that's the struggle, then dive in, because Satan is going to attack when it comes to the Word. He's going to make you doubt it. Second Corinthians says, All the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. You can go from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Every single promise, God's going to answer it. He's going to hold faithful. It's a yes in Christ Jesus. So you have to know the gospel clearly. Listen, uh, Tozer said this. He said, the devil is a better theologian than any of us. And he's still the devil. So we need to be careful. We need to not just know it kind of from a distance, but we've got to let it come in. And do its work. All right? You know, one of my, really, my only concern when I went to seminary was that I'd gain all this, like, intellectual knowledge, and then I'd lose sight of, like, the gospel. I'd lose my passion for the Lord because I had seen many people, not just in seminary, but I'd seen many people start out on fire and then just kind of die down to just a warm ember, you know, just a coal that was just there. Um, And so it was a concern I had that I'd lose sight of the main thing, the gospel. Look, many of us start out on fire. It's not a question how you start out. It's, It's a question how you end. So Paul, when he's talking in 2 Timothy He's emphasizing over and over again. Hey, look how great I started. It was awesome. It was amazing. No, he's not doing that. He's saying, hey, I'm still going. I am still going. I'm persevering. I have fought the good fight. I have made it to the end, and I will complete the race. That's what he's saying. His focus is not what was yesterday and all the great things he did for the Lord last week, last month, last year, 10 years ago. It's what he's still going to keep doing for the Lord. Here he is his last days, and he's still ministering to his disciple, Timothy. He's still doing ministry. He's still giving instructions to be carried out. He was faithful to the end. Uh, There's a a group called the Moravians. They're one of the oldest Protestant denominations in the world. Most people never heard of them. 
their whole model, motto, their whole motto is every Christian is a missionary. That's what their they just repeat it over. Every Christian is a missionary. Every Christian is a missionary. That's what they believed. That was their core conviction. Uh, that didn't mean every believer traveled to other lands, uh, but what it meant was how they lived. And so they believed wherever we work, wherever we live, we are there to share and spread the gospel. That's the reason we have jobs. That's the reason we have positions in society. That's the reason we're businessmen. That's the reason we're bankers. That's the reason we're teachers. It's for the spread of the gospel. It was instilled into the very fiber of their being. And so um, two of these men, Johann and David, learned that there was two islands. This is back in the 1700s. There was these two islands, Caribbean islands, St. Thomas and St. Croix. And there was African slaves, thousands of African slaves living on these islands, and they had not been reached for Christ. So they wanted to go there. And they were denied passage. They were told they wouldn't be allowed to do such a thing. And they figured out there was one way they could go there. And that was to sell themselves as slaves. And so that's what they did. They sold themselves as slaves to a ship full of slaves bound for those Caribbean islands. And you know what? You know what they yelled to their loved ones on the shore as they took off? They said, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. That's what they yelled. These Moravian men literally became slaves for Christ. Literally. That's gospel-focused. That needs to be our focus in our hearts. Next is the shield of faith. This shield of faith... The Greek word there, it had different words for shields. This shield is not like the small little round one you see in those movies, you know, where they're what, kind of defending, defending the strike and then striking back. These were four-foot shields, tall, about two and a half feet wide. I mean, these were giant shields. And most of them were made out of some type of uh, wood with a, and a combination of leather, but they were especially designed not just to stop arrows, that's a good thing, um, but they were designed because what what would happen is Rome's enemies would not just shoot arrows. It's one thing to be shot arrows, right, at you. Um, They would take them and wrap them maybe the the tip in a rag and then dip it in some pitch, and then they'd light the end of it on fire, and then they would shoot it. These shields were made so that when it struck, it would actually put out the arrow. Because imagine if you got, I mean, if you got a shield and it, get, it stops the arrow, but it's still on fire, well, that's a problem, okay? <laughs> so they actually made the shields, sometimes by soaking them in water before battle, sometimes in the way that the leather was made, but it was made so that not just would it stop the arrow, but it would actually put out the arrow when it struck the shield. Now, that's kind of cool. Um... So they, the shield of faith, this is the shield that Paul has in mind. In the Old Testament, you can do a little word study on shield today for your quiet time, but it talks about God being our shield over and over. It was really an image of God's protection for his people. And Satan here is going to shoot darts outwardly, using others, sadly, unwittingly. Okay? 
He'll use others to shoot arrows at us, but he's also going to shoot arrows inwardly at our hearts and minds. We've got to be prepared for both. You know, when I first got saved, I, like, you know, had that, I felt like I had this like, little shield, you know? Mine, mine was little, right? And Satan's like shooting his arrows. I'm like, boop, 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 boop. You know, I'm like blocking them all and everything. <clears throat> and I'd go around. I'd be all excited telling people about my little shield. I'm like, check out my little shield. Isn't that thing so cool? I was all excited about it, you know, and, and all the other believers that I was telling, they'd just kind of like smile and nod and be excited with me. But you know what? Uh, I never took the time to check out their shields. And, and when I finally did, uh, I noticed that many of those shields were, were those large shields. And they had dents in them. And they had holes from the arrows that had been shot at them. Dents and dings from the different battles that they had been in. But there they still stood before me, attesting to the faithfulness of God. And our shield, it really isn't that little, that little shield. Um, it's, that, it's that big shield. If you have a true saving faith, we have the shield that will stop the attacks of the enemy. Listen, some of you are battle-tested You have dents and dings in your armor. That's a good sign. And we need to continue to sharpen the blade, reinforce the shield, make sure there's no holes in the armor. One one Roman writer, Livy, he gives this graphic account of, of the arrows. If the shield wasn't prepared right, and you see these things flying through the air on fire, it, it freaked out the soldiers. And so what they would end up doing sometimes, if they were not properly trained, is the arrow would strike, they'd freak out, and then they'd drop the shield, exposing them. Sometimes I feel like that's our temptation. I mean, we have the shield, and we're attacked, and we freak out when we're attacked, even though we have the, the proper battle armor. And our temptation is, is to run. That's our temptation. The attack comes... You know, most people, right, flee or fight. A lot of people flee when a spiritual attack comes. We have to fight back. We are properly prepared. We are properly equipped for this battle. So when the arrows fly, guess what? If, if the, when the arrows are flying, if you turn and run, then you're really exposed. I mean, think about it. If you're standing there, at least with your shield, you are protected. But if you drop the shield and start running, you're going to... You'll be wiped out. You will be taken out. So God gives you the armor. You have to use it. So here's my point. Grow your faith. Grow your faith. Yes, it is on you. There are things you can do to grow your faith. And one of them is not time. Time does not automatically grow your faith. And I know Christians that have been saved for 20 years and they're infants in the faith. Time has, been, uh, has done them no good because they haven't grown. I was, in, uh, I was in youth ministry, Teens for Christ, years ago. There was a youth helper there when I first started coming around. Whenever there was a question as to, like, hey, what's the best plan? What's the strategy? What should we do? 
This person always responded, look, I've been doing this for 10 years, so here's what we need to do. That, that, was, the, that was like the, the trump card. That was the reason for why he knew what was best to do was just a, simply a passage of time. Now, maybe that was the case sometimes because if he was growing during that time, if you're growing during time, then yes, you learn things. You, get, you gain experience. There is wisdom and discernment. Experience can be beneficial if you are growing during that time. When years pass, if you continue to grow, then yes, I've been doing this for a number of years. Let me share some things that I've learned the wrong way and the right way. You know, others have told me when it comes to growth, I'm just waiting on the Lord to move. I'm just waiting on the Lord to move. And that's just an excuse for not them doing anything, for them not doing anything. And here's the problem. They've made an error in their, in their thinking. Because the scriptures say, hey, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. That's an error of equivocation because they take that, wait on the Lord, which has nothing to do with spiritual growth. It's about patience, long-suffering, trusting the Lord. And then they're like, oh, well, I'm going to wait on the Lord for my spiritual growth. I'm going to wait on the Lord for him to do something amazing, for him to wake me up out of my sin. Folks, if, if the cross and the grave does not wake you up out of your sin, nothing will. Think of that parable where uh, the guy's like, Jesus, uh, you know, send someone. Send, I want to warn my brothers because I'm like in hell. Send me back to warn them. And he's like, look, they're not even going to take the warning even if someone rises from the dead. Well, guess what? Same is true for us. If what Christ has already done for you is enough to shock you out of your sin, to get you out of it, to wake you up from your senses, I don't know what else you want him to do. That feat was greater than any feat. And him giving you new life, if you really have it, is a miracle. It is an amazing thing. So what else do you want him to do? How many times does he have to raise his son from the dead to shock you, to show you something awesome? Once is enough. So there is no excuse for not spiritually growing. Don't, don't, don't. Don't insult the Father by doing that, by blaming it on him. If you're not growing, that's on you. That's on you. And look, when I'm struggling, I don't blame it on God. I might be tempted to, but I don't blame it on God. Look, he's given me everything I need. He's given you everything you need for spiritual growth, for conquering sin. Everything you need. That's what we've been going through. Okay? So if you've got a foul mouth, or if you're looking at porn, or if you're an unloving spouse, or you're a rebellious teenager, that's not God's fault. That's your fault. And you can do something about it. Second Peter, look there. I want you to see this. By the way, I'm not, I'm not upset right now. I'm, I'm passionate about this because I think some of us are believing the lies of Satan regarding our spiritual growth. So we're believing a mistruth, a lie, about the Father. We're believing a lie about ourselves, and it's hindering us in growing. So we're not seeing things clearly. Things are distorted. We're thinking the distortion is reality. We've been deceived. Okay? So I'm ups- if I'm upset, I'm upset that we've, we're being deceived in that area, and it's hindering us in growing. Here's what Second Peter says in chapter 1, verse 3. Look at this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Okay? His divine power 
has granted. What does granted imply? A gift, right? He granted it to us. We didn't earn it. He granted it to us. What did he grant us? All things that pertain to life and godliness. Okay, listen, Satan and his demons have been trying for thousands and thousands of years to find the perfect arrow to shoot at each one of you to destroy your faith. An arrow after arrow after arrow that the enemy has shot falls harmless if you have the shield of faith. It will not strike you. It will strike the shield. So hold up the shield. Lastly, the armor we're going to look at today is the helmet of salvation. The helmet used by the Roman soldier uh, was made of bronze, sometimes leather with metal plates, but sometimes of bronze. Um, And it would be that kind that you saw that would kind of come down and cover all the way to the cheeks. So it was a pretty thorough helmet. If the whole body is protected, but the head is exposed, the battle will not last long. So, notice here when it comes to the helmet of salvation, I want you to see this progression here. The gospel comes, that's the first thing we talked about, with the feet, and is taking places. Then enters faith, the shield of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, says Hebrews. Then what is the result when the gospel comes, coupled with faith? Salvation. Salvation comes in responding to the gospel in faith. So you have shoes ready with the gospel, the shield of faith, and now you have the helmet of salvation. Through salvation, you are freed from the realm of Satan. You are no longer his. We've looked at it before, but I want to look at it again because it's such an amazing verse. Look at Colossians 1. It says in verse 11 of Colossians 1, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So God takes us, he frees us from the domain of Satan. He frees us from his reign. He frees us from being slaves to Satan, from being slaves to sin. We have a new king. We serve a new master. So we're no longer in the domain of darkness. We're in the kingdom of light. But here's the thing. My concern is this. Some of you are bound you're bound by Satan. All right? You're bound. He's binding you. Guess what? If you're bound up, you can't live in freedom. It's kind of hard to move and live if you're bound. People bound can't live in freedom. And instead of walking around with the armor of God, you're walking around in grave clothes. Instead of being bound by life, you're bound by death. You're in bondage. Think of Lazarus. Right? Jesus gives him new life. What happens? When he gives him new life, he calls him out of the grave. Lazarus comes out. What do he look like? 
He was wearing grave clothes, right? Understandably. So he comes out, and he's got the grave clothes on. Um, If you saw Lazarus a week later, and he still had the grave clothes on, you'd probably be like, bro, we got to talk, man. Like, there's a problem. Because you're living like a dead man. And you're alive. And that's how some of us are. Satan's accusing us, and, and we're living with the grave clothes. We're walking around like dead men. And listen to me, that voice that you're hearing of accusation, that is not the voice of God. That is the voice of Satan. You need to take off the grave clothes. Right? If you are in Christ, if you have that newness of life, then you don't belong to the grave. You don't belong to the domain of darkness. So you can take off the grave clothes. You once deserved those clothes. You once warm just like I did. But you have the newness of life. So take off the clothes and wear the clothes of righteousness. Wear that white robe that Jesus talks about in Revelation. We need to live and act as if we have this new life. Look, what did Jesus say to the woman caught in adultery? Who is there to condemn you? Who is there to condemn you? Jesus doesn't condemn believers. He doesn't condemn believers. He might convict them, but he doesn't condemn them. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation? None. None at all. No condemnation. The voice of condemnation is not the voice of Jesus. It is the voice of Satan. He is accusing you. He is shooting his arrows at you. There is no condemnation. If you have Jesus, if you are found in him, if you are united to him through his death and resurrection, there's no condemnation. If you feel condemned, that is not of God. This is what Jesus said in Luke 13. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And Jesus says the same to you today. Ought not this daughter or son of Abraham, who Satan has bound for many years, be freed today? Because he offers it. If you feel like you are bound, he offers freedom. He will unbind you. Look, we need to live in freedom. If you are bound, it's, it's a horrible feeling. To walk in bondage, it's awful. And God doesn't want that for you. He does not want that for you. He wants his best. Guess what his best is? Tons and tons of money. No. No. Okay? His best isn't always what we think should be his best. Because sometimes his best comes in ways that we think are pretty rotten. Sometimes his best comes in ways that we think are worst. But it's his best. And his best for us is to walk in obedience. To walk in freedom. 
If you've never experienced true freedom in Christ, you are missing out. It is a glorious thing. You can be saved and be walking in bondage. Okay? Read Romans 6, read Romans 7, read Romans 8. You'll get the picture. It's no fun to walk in bondage. Okay? Christ came to set us free. That's what it says. Galatians, one of my favorite verses. All right? It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Freedom from what? From sin, from bondage. Freedom to what? To live righteously. Freedom to who? The Father and the Son. You have access to Jesus. You have access to the Father. That is only a privilege given to his sons and daughters. And it's a privilege that each one of us has. Are you taking advantage of it? The privilege of union with Christ. The privilege of fellowship with Christ. That's a privilege. I encourage you to take advantage of that privilege. Walk in that freedom. So, take your gospel and let's get out with it. Get those shoes moving, okay? And let's strengthen that shield a little bit. Let's do some spiritual growth. Be specific about it. Be targeted. School's coming up like whatever, this week or next week, all right? So you've already probably planned out your kids' stuff. No, it's still a week away. You've got time. Um, but when you wait to the last minute to plan that out, plan out some spiritual growth for yourself, all right? So you've had the summer off. Maybe you haven't done much. That's all right. That's behind you. Look toward what's ahead. How are you going to grow this coming school year? How are you going to help your kids grow this coming school year? Have a plan. Help them out. Strengthen that shield of faith. And then you have salvation. A very sweet thing in Jesus. Nothing is sweeter. Regardless of whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're bound with potentially, the hope of salvation should drive you forward. Because if you have Christ, then you have a sweet salvation. And one day, all your troubles and all your woes and all your struggles will come to an end. And you will close your eyes and you will see the Father and the Son. Not just here, but face to face. That day will come for each one of us. Sooner for some, later for others. But it will come. Let you meet him as a faithful servant, as a faithful son or daughter. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good to us. And I pray, God, you would do your ministry right now. I pray, God, for those that might be bound up, for those that might be in bondage, that you administer to them. If you're here right now and you feel that's you, would you just raise your hand? Because I want to pray specific, not specifically name you out, but I want to pray for you. Anybody here, raise your hand. Okay, I see it, I see it. Thank you, thank you. Good. 
All right, God, you saw those hands. Thank you for those people raising it. I don't know what they're dealing with. You know where they're at, Lord. They want freedom in you, God. They want freedom in you. So, Lord, I prayed for him. Unbound the shackles of Satan. Break those chains, Lord, and set them free, God. Give them a breath of fresh air in you. Let them see clearly. Let them say no to the lies of the enemy. Let them say yes to you, God. Let them cling to your promises. You are a faithful God. You are ever faithful, Lord. And you are very patient with us, with each one of us, God. And I thank you for that because we need it. We thank you, God, that you are long-suffering, that you are patient. We thank you, God, that you don't let us continue to wallow in our sin, Lord, but you send your word to convict us, to call us out of it, God. So I pray for those people wherever they're at, whatever they're going through. You've given them your spirit, Lord. You've given them the armor. So let them fight God for you. You've strengthened them already. We've seen that. So set them free, God. Your word says that times of refreshing come from you. And you are a good God to refresh us over and over and over again, God. And we all need refreshing. And I pray for those people you'd give them a spirit of refreshment. And pray that for us all too, God. If we're just kind of stale or just been kind of going along or not looking forward to the school year, whether we're teachers or students, parents or whatever, God, give us that spirit of refreshment to know that you will take us day by day, whatever you have for us, God. You are a good and faithful God. And we love you. Amen.